You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. All right, quick, who was the father of Aminadab? Oh, I didn't know there'd be a test. Dang it. No one gets a candy bar. No, genealogies are often something to maybe skip over or look, you know, and say, oh, I don't know if I need to read all those names or pick out a couple and... What's that? Ram. Yeah. Oh, it was Ram. Okay, nice. Thank you. You win front row, no less. Yeah, of course. Um, but it's just, there's this one is so good. Okay, it is so good. Um, I sound very robotic, and that's okay. Sorry. They'll figure it out. Can we give them a round of applause? Kevin and Brian, you guys are awesome. Technology, who, who cares? Um, so just as way of reminder of Matthew. So again, we don't just don't take what we say up here uh, for granted or whatever, like really deep dive into this stuff. Like Matthew is so good. There's such rich history. There's stuff that we just, there's no way we can cover in the time we have. Um, So those books can be helpful. You can read it on your own. There's podcasts, all sorts of stuff. And we, we have a lot of resources. So if you're like, I don't know where to start, please come talk to us. We'd love to to walk through that with you. But just to remind, like, remember we're reading the story of Jesus according to Matthew but this was written many years after the actual life of Jesus on earth. Okay, so he's kind of a retelling, a re-remembering. Matthew's goal is to go back and to put into writing what he remembers and what Jesus said the Spirit of God would remind them of. But anytime we talk about the Gospels, it's getting worse, I love it. Um, Anytime it talks about the Gospels, I don't don't want to hurt your ears. Um, It's not just humans writing right? Anytime we talk about this, there was, there's very much a real spirit of God presence in every single word we read, recorded by John in his gospel, in his retelling of the gospel story, was the conversation Jesus had with his disciples about him leaving and what would happen. This is recorded in John 14. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, so it's the Spirit, the Spirit of God through Matthew that is retelling this stuff. We'll see a lot that is Matthew's personality. We'll see a lot that is really, really cool, deep, um, just like creative writing in the Gospel of Matthew. But we need to hear the Spirit. The Spirit is what we are hearing through there. So Matthew is rewriting Jesus' story for Christians to be bolstered in their faith, for those who could hear, read, or teach it, to continue the great mission of spreading the news that Jesus Christ lived, died, and resurrected, to teach that throughout the world through the Holy Spirit, who is continuing to teach and remind them of the teachings of Jesus. So this is what Matthew brings to the table in a unique way way. And like I said, I'm very excited for today. So we looked at last week, we looked at the person of Jesus, uh, or the person, sorry, the person of Matthew a little bit. An educated, very bright man, but with one very glaring negative over his whole being. And he was a tax collector. Yeah, you say it with like disgust, right? But tax collector turned scribe for God's purposes is a very useful tool. 
Matthew is going to go about reminding people who Jesus was and is the only way he knows how by the numbers. Okay, Matthew is a numbers guy. He works with ledgers and follows the columns to make sure everything adds up. So we enter Matthew chapter 1 and immediately get a huge genealogy. Hey, real quick. Hey, Bryce, do you want me to use a different mic? Is it okay? Okay, I just don't. If you guys are like, oh, get out of here. Okay, I just want to make sure that's okay. Now, before we get into it, let's get into the mindset. Who likes puzzles? Okay, cool. I love puzzles. Thank you for raising your hand. Puzzles are awesome. And I don't just mean like Thomas Kincaid style puzzles, like those are awesome, but I mean like Rubik's Cube or like whodunits or whatever, like Clue is my favorite board game of all time. I like how, can I switch? Thank you. Check, check, check. Hello, welcome. All right. Come on, let's go. That's okay. This is great. We're a family, right? So messy. I love it. So, Rubik's Cube. Does anyone know how to solve the Rubik's Cube? Okay, I don't want to brag, but my best time is one minute, 10 seconds. So, in high school, can't still do it. So, it doesn't mean anything. It means absolutely nothing. But what I love are puzzles when you have tiny little things that like you don't quite know how it fits together. And then at the end, it just does. At the end, you kind of figure out, oh, that's why this and that and this and that, that kind of thing, right? And not just for, for Matthew, but for the Jewish people to claim someone was the Messiah. There were a lot of pieces that had to make sense, a lot of pieces that had to fit together to make sure that this was gonna happen. Things like this, Genesis 3.15, the Messiah will come from the seed of a woman, okay? Genesis 3.15, when God is cursing the opposer, cursing the Satan character, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. They would know this, okay? So it's coming, there's, there's an offspring that is coming here. This, things like this, the Messiah will come from the line of David. This was a prophecy in 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, this, this kingdom that will be established forever the Messiah is also going to be a descendant of Abraham, through whom all the nations will be blessed. Genesis 12, 2, God is talking to Abraham, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And there's about 50 other ones, right? These puzzle pieces that just had to figure, it had to put together for Jesus to truly be the Messiah. But no one would have thought even twice about Jesus of Nazareth if he didn't have a lick of messianic lineage in his blood. So Matthew starts there. What's his big claim? Verse one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So like right off the bat, he's not just like, hey, let me like ease into it. He's just going, bam, 
These are two like qualifiers that have to be there for Jesus, massive necessities for Jesus to be the Messiah. As is the theme of the genealogy, is when you read son of, it doesn't necessarily mean this one fathered the other, right? Like David and Abraham didn't directly father Jesus, but Jesus comes from their line and has claim to what is promised them. So naming Jesus, son of these two big names, has, has two claims. First is the claim to Abraham. Matthew, linking Jesus to the father of the Israelites, is very significant. He wants to bring back to mind for anyone reading the covenant God made with Abraham to rescue his people and bless the world through this very lineage. The Israelites were once commissioned to be this part of, be this blessing, this set-apart blessing, but as we can read their stories over and over and over again, they were often rebellious and ultimately could not fulfill their end of the bargain. But Matthew is bringing this to mind, but claiming that Jesus was the long-awaited son of Abraham who could bring about what Israel could not. Through Jesus, they would finally be the hope of the world that God's people were always supposed to be. How? How is this going to happen? That's the second claim. If Abraham was to claim that Jesus belongs among the Israelite people, then naming David gives Jesus the royalty he's due and brings back to mind the rightful heir of the throne of David. You see, the Israelites knew of that prophecy in 2 Samuel, that David's throne would be established forever. But remember, even in this genealogy, if you remember when Gabe read it, we're reminded of the Babylonian exile. The people, once again, had rebelled. And part of their punishment was God allowing foreign powers to come in, destroy their homes, desecrate the temple, which is more of a slam on God than the people. And they were taken to a land not their own to live once again as a people with no place to call their home for 14 generations. 14 generations is a long time. A long time to either lose hope, to be very skeptical about the throne of David ever continuing, Right? In their exile, there was no throne. There was no rulership. They were a conquered people. What hope did they have coming out of that? Well, Matthew is trying to get them to see that despite their poor choices and turning from God, God did not abandon them. Through these claims, Jesus is the long-awaited great Israelite from Abraham who will rule like David but perfect and forever and will turn the hearts of the people towards God. You see, God does not forget what he promised, nor gives up on who he promises to. That's one of the most incredible things about Matthew starting off with this genealogy. He's not just stating facts. He's not just nerding out, right? He's telling the story of God's faithfulness, and God's faithfulness is shown through his people. Every one of those names is a story, a story of how God worked in their lives, no matter how important they were or seemingly insignificant. And these real stories were very real in their own time, but also thematically, how they represent the story as a whole. And we'll see numerically today how these names also represent the storyline of God and humanity. Again, Matthew is going to show us how Jesus is the Christ using the tools he knows how to prove something best, the numbers. Okay, so for example, chapter 1, verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah, and his brothers. So right there, if you know your Bibles very well, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers 
the patriarchs of the Jews, and his brothers represents the 12 tribes of Israel and all of Israel. So three generations of God stating his covenant that this family, starting with Abraham, would have a land of their own, be a numerous nation, and be a blessing to the whole world. And we're going to get into a bunch of numbers today, which I'm really excited. So to start here with just the number three, okay? Three is a significant number, meaning kind of whole or completion, okay? As we have three names in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is again to show Jesus comes from the complete covenant of God, as has been seen throughout the whole generations of Israel. And there's, that's just like a teaser. There's so much more of that, okay? Now, we're told at the end of this genealogy that there are three sets of 14 generations. Just brief recap on those three sets, very briefly. The first 14 generations, starting from Abraham to David, were the setting up and living out the covenant of God. That second 14, second paragraph, from David to Jeconiah, were the establishment of the throne of David and the ruling of Israel. And the third 14, Jeconiah to Jesus, is all about how God is rebuilding his people from the remnant remaining, culminating in the birth of Jesus Christ, okay? So I want to look real quick at that second list. It's fascinating because it contains a mix of good and horrible kings as it focuses on the ruling of God's people. Kings like David and Solomon, though they were not perfect, had qualifiers like they did good what, or they did what was good in the eyes of the Lord. Right, marking them as kings who ultimately and imperfectly served God, but not all did. Some did what was called wicked in the eyes of the Lord. So you get a list like this, and I put it up here. For example, this is verse 7 and 8. Solomon, who was good king, father of Rehoboam, wicked king. Father of Abijah, wicked. Abijah, the father of Asa, good. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, good. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, wicked. Okay? There's like no rhyme or reason to it. It's not just like, oh, here's the good ones, here's the bad. It's so intermixed. It, was, it happened in real time. And this is the retelling of the fickle hearts of the leaders and how they too were prone to wander regardless of their status. See, kingship is not just something readily accepted. In fact, if we remember the time Matthew is writing about, there was a self-appointed king in Judah named Herod the Great about before and about the time Jesus was born. This usurper was a nail in the coffin of hope for the Jews to ever have a true king from the line of David again. This is why Matthew unashamedly goes after the son of David. This Jesus is the very hope that you've given up on. This Jesus is the rightful heir to David's throne and ruler of all of Israel. All that is so good and so cool. And there's even more. And it, I will not apologize, but can we get real nerdy, please? I love this stuff so much. And if you allow me for a little bit, we're just going to have a lot of fun in like how Matthew shows a lot of these themes and stuff by being, he is being nerdy and in the spirit. But he is like showing all these things here. So do you, does anyone know what finding an Easter egg means? Yeah, it's not just an egg on, on a day, right? Find an Easter egg. So this is a picture of a vent in a, in a subway in Stockholm. Tell, tell me when you see it. Pac-Man, yeah, exactly, right? Totally unnecessary, right? Like completely unnecessary, but like someone's like, hey, that's cool. Like what a cool nod, right? I want to find the person that makes grates in Stockholm. But these Easter eggs, so Matthew, he hides Easter eggs in this genealogy all over the place. And I just want to pick out a couple of them 
And if you don't love genealogies after this, then let's have coffee and I'll pray for you. Um, so there's a few Easter eggs here. So the first one is the number 14. Okay, the number 14. We read that number a lot in this genealogy. In the end of the genealogy, verse 17, it says this. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Why 14? Might be a coincidence. Might be Matthew's favorite number. Would it interest you to know that there were actually more generations in that list? And Matthew deliberately left out three lineages and counted two names twice to make it three sets of 14? Does that tickle your fancy a little bit? You can do your own deep dive into all of this, please. And there's more. But if that interests you, Matthew has specifically picked 14 for a few reasons. Ancient Hebrew names had numerical values to them. In Hebrew, letters were given values. And then vowels are added by these kind of dots and lines. I don't know Hebrew very well. Above and below the letters to fill it in, right? So, for example, if our alphabet was given numerical value, what would A be? One, right? B2, that kind of thing, right? So here's an example. This is, he, this is David's name in Hebrew, okay? Anybody fluent in Hebrew in here? Because you should come up here and take the mic away from me. Um, so I don't know how to pronounce that, but D David, right? But those letters right there, so that's Dalit, Vav, and Dalit, okay? And then in between, they add the, the, the A's there. So Dalit is the fourth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and Vav is the sixth letter. So you have four, six, four. What does that equal? 14, thank you. This maybe seems strange to us, like, oh, okay, what a, what a coincidence, right? But to ancient Israel, this was culturally understood. This is, they actually, they, they would have understood this. For context, in our culture, to use a sports analogy, if I were to say number 23, what comes to mind? Especially if I was to say Chicago Bulls, 23, right? Or if I were for football fans, if I said TB12. No, did you not call that Tom Brady? Did no one call him that? The GOAT? I don't know. I'm not a football fan, <laughs> apparently, right? In our culture, we understand numbers sometimes, right? We get references to things. And I didn't know a different non-sports number thing, but you can come up with your own. So for anyone reading within the context of Israel, genealogies, David, rulership, reading 14, this would immediately carry the value and the authority of saying, oh, that's David. He's talking about David. And a huge theme in all of Matthew, as we'll see, is this unpack of Jesus's authority. His authority that comes from his claim to rulership. Matthew is not shying away from letting his readers know this is the long-awaited king from the line of David. David is mentioned in the beginning of the genealogy, at the end of the genealogy, and then thematically, his, his name numerical value is throughout all the generations. And just as another candle on the birthday cake, guess whose name is, in the, is the 14th generational name in that first list? Who do you think it is? <laughs> Everyone's counting. It's David. It's David, right? David, on the first list, the 14th name is David. Okay, it's just crazy. Okay, what's that? You want more? Okay, so that's not all. There's three sets of 14, okay? There's three sets of 14. 14 times three, 42, thank you. Another way to say 42 is six sets of seven. In the genealogy, there are six sets of seven names put together, okay? Stay with me. 
If you've been around the Bible for a little bit, you'll notice that seven is a special number. Going back to creation, God worked the six days and then they blessed the seventh, saying it was a Sabbath day meaning rest. This was the completion of God's work in totality and perfection. And this was remembered and practiced throughout Israel's history. Not only the seventh day, seventh year, the seventh time, seventh year is the year of Jubilee, which is 49, which is interesting. And so on, Jesus refers to forgiving someone not just seven times, but seven times, 70 or 77 times, which is not actually 77 times and on the 78th you're out, right? The, the idea is like completely and fully. So back to genealogy and stay with me, keep with me, get coffee if you, if you can't. Verse 16 at the end, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. Okay, if you trace the numbers, if you do the math, if you look at that last list and you count the fathers, Jacob is the 12th father in that generation. But then, that would, which would set up Joseph to be the 13th father. But what does the text say? Joseph was not the father. He was the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born. So Jesus is born of Mary, but not of Joseph. So a missing link is the 13th father's name. That's the question. Jesus was born, but who was the father? All the people would have been like, Jesus from Nazareth, we know him, Joseph and Mary, but Joseph wasn't the father. Who is the 13th name? Come back next week and we'll find out. Matthew is setting up his readers and hearers to wonder this, and it just so turns out he's about to tell us next week. But if you notice, Jesus' name ends the genealogy. So once we name the 13th father, Jesus will be the 14th name meaning he not only ends this genealogy, but he is the father or beginning of the next generation. And if this list would continue, it would be the seventh set of seven, the fully complete next generation, thematically meaning the time for the perfect completion of all things, Jesus being the beginning of that. If your mind isn't blown or if that's confusing, and it totally is, but Matthew may have lulled his readers and hearers to sleep, reciting history that many would know and Gentiles would be learning, but then blows it up all of a sudden, going thematic on God and the person of Jesus being the father of the generations to come, which fulfills how the promise to Abraham would be a blessing to all nations forevermore. And it's all through Jesus. Breathe and smile, because God is so smart. And he works through people like Matthew. One more, maybe, or a couple more. But another one still involves Easter eggs, but now with letters, not numbers, okay? Matthew brilliantly shows Jesus also as the fulfillment of Psalms and of the prophets in just changing two names ever so slightly. If you have the NIV, and there's other translations, you'll read these generational names. This is uh, verse 7 and 8. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Then skip to verse 10. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah. Okay, so there's lots of Bible translators that have that, and I highlighted the names you should remember. Okay, now look at that. Memorize it. Asa, Amon, okay? Now let's look at the ESV. Same verses. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Verse 10, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah. 
okay? You see it just slightly. Went from Asa to Asaph and Amon to Amos, okay? Now, this is fascinating. Now, I would not be so bold as to say Bible translators missed something here because that is not my place, right? But there was an intentionality to Matthew changing those names just slightly. I'll show you in a second. Some scholars believe translators saw this actually as a scribal error, and so they retranslated back to what the king should be. So in the NIV, the king's name was right. It was actually Asa and Amon. But here, Matthew is doing something. The readers and hearers in Matthew's day, they couldn't hear Asaph. And could you, could you pick out Asaph? Do you know what Asaph is from? Does it sound familiar if I said a song of Asaph? Right? Psalms, right? Hearers in Matthew's day could not hear Asaph without thinking worship music in the Psalms, much like if I threw out the name, and he was the father of Chris Tomlin, and he was the son of Keith Green and the daughter of DC Talk and whatever, right? When you, when you say these words, it puts you in a category, right? Similarly, when you hear the prophets, you might not go straight to Amos as a thought, but his prophetic vision of Israel growing fat with their lack of action and not understanding the great gifts God has given them were meant for pouring out but not building their own little kingdoms. So here, just in two little name changes, Matthew puts in the Psalms and the prophets, what the worship songs have all been about, what the prophets have been telling them about, right? Not only has Matthew linked Jesus to Abraham, the Israelite of Israelites, not just to King David as the rightful heir and ruler to the throne that will be established forever, but also as the focus and fulfillment of what the Psalms sing about and who the prophets foretold about in just two subtle name changes, like, aren't genealogies, they're so cool, right? But here's, here, <clears throat> here's what I want to focus on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Here's what I want to focus on and land the plane today. The women in the genealogy, okay? Where's my ladies at? Okay, yes, come on, let's do it. Now, remember, from a patriarchal society, that's not an indictment, that's just what it was, especially if one of Matthew's goals is to prove Jesus' real legal lineage, he should not have included women. That's not a, a, like a blow or whatever, but because, not because they weren't special, because they were not considered head of household, so those generations would not have counted. They held no status in court of law or heritage. And even if he was going to list some ladies' names these, they would not be these ones, okay? So let me just point out the ones that he names. Verse three, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Verse five, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Second half of, of verse six, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Ooh, rut row. And verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. So look at this list. Let me put it up there. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, and then I want to include Mary. Now, if you show this list to any self-respecting Jew in the first century AD, their cheeks would flush a bit, Right? This is like the who's who of embarrassing stories for Israel. This is not the mothers of the faith that you would expect. Like the mothers of the faith, the matriarchs, if you will, that are Sarah and Rebecca and Leah and Rachel, and they have incredible stories. They are the literal Jewish matriarchs of the faith. 
Wouldn't Matthew want to show that Jesus came from this untainted line of Jewish heritage? And if he were going to use women's names, wouldn't he use the most acceptable ones? But if you remember last week, let's just take a second and remember who Matthew was. He was a Jew, but he was an outsider. He was as outside as a Jew could get in Judea. As a tax collector, what he did, to what, who does he include? He includes the outsiders with messy, imperfect pasts. Real briefly, Tamar, you can read all these stories. I'll give you the references after. Israelite woman whose first and second husbands die, leaving her widowed and childless. Her father-in-law, Judah, who's responsible for her, denies her his third son, violating the Jewish law of kinsman redeemer. So she dresses up as a prostitute, seduces her father-in-law, Judah, and gets pregnant, securing the family line. Role model, right? Genesis 38, you can read that. Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute in Jericho, who hid Israelite spies so that they could ultimately come and conquer Jericho. Ruth, a pagan Moabite woman who stayed loyal to her mother-in-law when both their husbands died, then due to their loyalty found a husband in Boaz who would make her the great-grandma of King David himself. Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Depending on how you read the story, she either seduced or was seduced by King David, leading to adultery, pregnancy, and murder of her husband to cover it up. Mary, a scandalously pregnant teenager from nowhere. And for Matthew to include this at the end would cause his audience to conclude, wait, he was born of a woman? This brings to mind Genesis 3 of the woman's offspring and great prophecy from Isaiah that thus would be the sign of the one called Emmanuel. Also, all people are born of women, so it's kind of silly. Right, these women weren't just scandalous people, but they have scandalous stories and they are redeemed in this narrative because of God's fierce loyalty in their stories. Yes, they made huge mistakes. Yes, they would not be the kind of people you'd maybe want to role model after, but in their lives and stories, God found them and they are the stories not of ruin, but of redemption. So let's land the plane. Keep in mind, as we keep all that in mind, as we go back to verse 1, of the genealogy. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What claim does Jesus have to be king over Israel? To Matthew, every, every claim. We'll see this more clearly as we keep going in this book, but Jesus mirrors the story of Israel, and he is the embodiment and fulfillment of what it was always meant to be, a blessing to the nations. The life and teachings of Jesus are not just from the greatest Israelite and king to have ever lived, but the eternal Lord and Savior of the whole Lord who is, or world who is very much alive today. And there's an invitation in that. Last kind of nerd out. Do you guys know where the word genealogy comes from? There is a word for genealogy in the ancient Greek. I put it up there. Gena, genealogia. Okay, the Y is a G and the, and the V is more like an N. So genealogia. So that's the making of a pedigree or a family tree, right? But Matthew, if you actually put the Greek phrase of verse 1 up there, Matthew uses a different word here. So that second word, genesis. You hear that? What do you think is translated that as English? Genesis, right? 
Instead of using the proper word for genealogy, Matthew uses the word translated in our English as Genesis, literally the book or scroll of the Genesis of Jesus the Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Genesis, creation. You don't think after all that number and letter stuff that this isn't unintentional, right? There was already an old creation story and they knew it, but this is the book of the second or new creation narrative begun by Jesus, who is the Christ. Emmanuel is not just a cool story of a deity come to earth. It is an invitation to a whole new way of life, a new creation story where God once again dwells with his people, a story where the end is a world where a good God and king is making all things new. And here's the deal. The invitation is for all who have ears to hear and eyes to see to join in the narrative of Jesus's new genesis. Do you have a rough background? Is your family life rough or you don't have the right circumstances? Have you committed sins? Have sins been committed against you? Let me read again who's included in the short list of the genesis of Jesus Christ. Abraham, Messi, David, Messi, Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, Matthew, you, and me. There's not a perfect person on that list. And not only do you and I have a chance to be made new, to be washed clean and given a new heart for God, we come from a long-standing community of the outsiders welcomed in, the imperfect loved by a perfect God. Listen, these women were not supposed to be in this genealogy. Matthew was not supposed to be a disciple. You and I are not supposed to be worthy of salvation, worthy to have the Spirit of God residing within us. But Jesus came and Jesus said we were. And Matthew won't let his readers forget this. The theme of who is in, who wasn't supposed to be, is throughout his whole gospel. What did Jesus say when he calls Matthew, as we looked at last week in chapter 9? For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus flipping it upside down. Jesus is redefining what it means to be righteous. Jesus is here for the outsiders, not to forsake the insiders, but to welcome everyone else to a family full of love, grace, and hope. And the story of the Bible is truly one of a new hope, a new family, a new kind of people. In church, we are that people. We are that story in proverbial genealogy being written right now in our lives, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our cities. We are not unlike the stories in this genealogy. When you read this list, you see a full retelling of the story of a good God whose strength and faithfulness works mightily through a bunch of weak humans. And those are who we read as examples for us. So this genealogy, this genesis and new beginnings is a picture that our faith is made to be lived in community. None of those names can stand alone not in isolation, like we're often pressured in our culture to make it, right? It's your faith, go do that in private until the Lord comes and saves you from this cruel world. For us here at Hub City, we don't wanna do that alone. For example, there's just one example of like, that's kind of why we do Hub Groups. That's why we get into it with each other because we're not just doing small groups. It's not just a program for us. We wanna actively do this faith thing together. We see this as a family, just like God called his family long ago to be one. When we love each other, which is the great covenant call of Jesus, and live in the reality that our faith, is, that our faith story is a family of faith bigger than ourselves. This is when the body of believers are truly a light to a world like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That is a blessing 
to those around us. So Hub City, may we know that we have a God who loves us and welcomes us into his great family. May our lives be framed out of an overflow of that confidence and grace we have received. Like Matthew, we too, with all of our baggage and brokenness, can answer the same call of Rabbi Jesus when he says, come and follow me.